Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Tuesday, June 1st edition of ATS Radio. My name is Adam Burke. I'm joined today by Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. We're going to talk some NHL playoffs with you here on today's show. Take a look at the Memorial Tournament down at Mirfield Village, not too far from me, a couple hours away down in the Columbus area. Then we'll take a look at the Belmont Stakes as well as the post draw coming in here this morning at 11 a.m. So we can talk about the last leg of the Triple Crown here uh, up at the Belmont Stakes. Over at ATS.io, got some great stuff for you to check out. My daily MLB article posted every day over there at the website. Also doing the betters box every Monday and Thursday here on ATS Radio. We got picks and predictions across the WNBA, NBA, NHL, all that good stuff. Some updates on the Circus Sports Million and the Circus Survivor as well. Thoughts on some of the NFL futures markets, coach of the year, offensive, defensive, rookie of the year, MVP, all that good stuff over at the website for you to check out. Or you can read that stuff through the ATS app, which you can download in the Google Play Store or in the Apple Store. It's a bet tracker, an odd screen, a stats database, full article integration from the website. Tons of great stuff for you to check out in that ATS app. So I encourage you to download that today. With that, we bring on today's guest. That is Mr. Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline, at Brian Blessing on Twitter. Brian, how's it going today, man? All right, Adam. Uh, what a great time of year, man. I mean, everything got moved back, so th- this month of May has been insane. Yeah, absolutely. The month of May was crazy in June. Uh, you know, a lot of things left to be decided here as well. And, of course, you know, college football and NFL season win totals out already. So those markets are kind of ramping up. And I believe I actually saw it today on Twitter – we are 100 days away from the start of the NFL season. So it's coming quick. No, I mean, to that end, we actually did uh, division odds and season win total videos at ATS.io. So it, it's a coming, it's a coming fast. Yeah, absolutely. I put up all four AFC ones here uh, over at our ATS YouTube page today. NFC will go up tomorrow. So keep an eye out for those from Brian over on our ATS YouTube page. But Brian, I know you're a hockey guy, and we had a couple of interesting results last night. The Islanders uh, getting back into the series with Boston. That series now tied at 1-1. And Montreal pulls off the upset. They come back from being down 3-1 in the series to advance and beat the Toronto Maple Leafs in seven games. And, you know, what's really interesting about this is, you know, we've kind of talked about this on the show. It's been a long time since a Canadian team has won the Cup. A Canadian team guaranteed to be in the Final Four with the way that this playoff format is designed, I don't really think that they expected it to be Montreal and Winnipeg playing for a spot in the final four though. Well, I really liked Winnipeg against Edmonton. I didn't, I you know, didn't see a sweep coming, but I really did like Winnipeg, the Montreal series. I know we had talked about when it started, I said, it'll be a lot closer than a lot of people think that, you know, price is such a good goaltender and it's a fresh start, and the Leafs' goaltending and defense is suspect at best. And I liked Winnipeg to win the series. I thought it would be a lot closer for Montreal. And honestly, I didn't see them getting the win when they were down 3-1. But, boy, the Leafs had chance after chance after chance, and Price just frustrated the heck out of them. Yeah, and that was one of those series, too, where – you know, I mean, hockey is is very much a team sport and you get a lot of role player guys that score big goals and all that kind of thing. But you know, the biggest thing for Toronto in that series, I mean, Mitch Marner did very little. Austin Matthews got off to a good start in the series, didn't do a whole lot. 
in the second half of that series where, you know, of course, Montreal won three straight games. That's the thing, you know, I mean, you get the role players that contribute, but your stars have to be the guys. And when you look at some of these teams that have advanced, I mean, Tampa Bay, all their star players doing everything. You know, you look at some of these teams that do advance and the stars are at the forefront and Toronto's stars just weren't there. And now you sort of wonder going forward here, you know, what this team does, because offensively they're fine. On the back end, they're questionable. And Jack Campbell, for the most part, played very well this season uh, as their goaltender. Maybe they found something there. But you do wonder with Toronto going forward here, you know, I don't know how they jumpstart those star players in the playoffs, but, you know, Matthews and Marner had to do more in this series to close it out, and they simply didn't. Matthews and Marner are taking such incredible heat right now, and you can rack up all the points you want. Honestly, you can say the same thing about Connor McDavid. You know, he'll win heart trophy after heart trophy. At some point, you know, you say, yeah, he needs a supporting cast. At the same time, if you're, quote, unquote, the best player in the world, in McDavid's case, or pretty near the top of the list, in Matthew's case, I mean, shouldn't there be a game or two in a series that even if the supporting cast isn't that good, that the guy gets a goal and two assists and puts a team on his shoulders and wins a game? You would think. Yeah, you would certainly think so. And, of course, we'll see what happens with Toronto as we go forward here. But uh, before we step away from the North Division, that series between Montreal and Winnipeg begins on Wednesday night here. Winnipeg, of course, sweeping Edmonton. That was a outcome that we didn't really expect to see here in this postseason. I mean, obviously, you know, Winnipeg winning the series, certainly a possibility. Sweeping the series, that's a little bit different. But now this Winnipeg team hasn't played since May 24th. On the other hand, Montreal spent a lot of energy to get back in that series and win that series against Toronto. So game one coming up here on Wednesday night, Winnipeg taking the money off the opening line up from the minus 110 range to minus 125. What do you think about game one on Wednesday night between those two? And what do you think about the series as a whole? Wow. You got prices playing at a great level and Hellebuck is capable of doing really good things. Don't sleep on Winnipeg's firepower up front. Shifley is maybe, I think you can make the case, the most underrated player in the NHL. So Winnipeg has some firepower up front. Montreal, I think, has the edge defensively. And the goaltending, I would say, is a push. Although Carey Price currently looks like Carey Price of two or three years ago. So there's a fine line when teams play a seventh game and you're like, oh, they played a seventh game and they're worn out. I've seen many, many times teams win the seventh game, carry that momentum into game one and hit the game two. Well, Vegas just went through that one game seven against Minnesota and got absolutely demolished by Colorado. So, I mean, Colorado's a different animal than Winnipeg. So there's no right or wrong answer. It's just trying to get a read on it. My general rule of thumb, Adam, I I wouldn't deviate from it is before teams know each other and the angst and the hate builds up and the adjustments are made by the coaches. I tend to generally look to play the over in game one of, of any series and then, you know, see how that goes and, and look for it to boomerang back. So I would probably 
And if the plus price is nice, it's five and a half under 40. So you're getting plus 15, plus 20 cents. I'd probably go over the total in game one. As you said, Hellebeck's off a long time. And, you know, the, the one thing, I think you probably come back with price, but after a long series, you know, Montreal could consider a backup goalie, but I doubt it. I, I, I'd, I'd go over the total in game one. Speaking of overs here, two games in the Islanders and Bruins series, two overs so far. Boston wins game one, five to two. Islanders win game two, four to three in overtime. And that was a huge win for the Islanders last night because they took a 3-1 lead into the third period, blew it, but then wound up getting the Sezikis winner in overtime with about five minutes left in the extra period. So huge win for the Islanders, blowing that lead, but still being able to get out of Boston with a split. Game three coming up here on Thursday. So the extra off day for those two teams. But Brian, what have you seen so far in this series? And how do you think this thing kind of plays out going forward? Well, I think what's been, if you wanted to say surprising, is the Islanders actually not only finishing, but stylistically, it's almost like they're saying, we're willing to run with you here a little bit. Because Boston's no great offensive juggernaut. Believe me, the first line is amazing. But I think the Islanders are saying, hey, look, we got to score. And they are challenged to score. And I think the Islanders are actually playing a little more open style than they're accustomed to playing. And then they're counting on Sorokin or Varlamov to, you know, to deny the big chances the Bruins are getting. So the way it's being played is a, is a little interesting to me. I, I really didn't see this coming. And now you get the change of venue, and the Islanders will have just a raucous fan base in front of them at Nassau County Coliseum. So I'm shocked that both of the games went over. I, I had over in game one, I, I did, and then I had under last night and wasn't even close. So the games are being played a little differently. Yeah, they definitely are. And, and something that worries me here, and as we look way in advance for Thursday's game, Boston a road favorite in the minus 130 range here. Boston at five on five in this series, 70 scoring chances to 33 for the Islanders, 19 high danger chances, just nine for the Islanders. So if New York wants to play at this kind of more wide open type of pace, they still need to figure things out defensively because Boston's gotten a lot of premier scoring chances in this series here so far. The Islanders lucky to leave town, I think with a split, what did you think about the move to go to Varlamov in game two? Obviously it worked out, but you think that's what you would have done? I'm honestly, I, I think Varlamov's a better goalie. I, I was a little surprised Sorokin started game one. Well, Sorokin I mean, was better in the first series, but yeah, I, I think it's interesting. You know, we usually don't see this kind of musical chairs rotation from teams in the playoffs. Usually you kind of ride your guy and, and that's that, but also, I know both of us have tons of respect for Barry Trotz. So whatever decision he makes, I'm, I'm probably going to be in line with. I trust him more than any coach that's coaching right now. He's a, just from a matchup perspective, he's a difference maker. I mean, what should Barry Trotz be worth in, in the series price? I think, you know, 30, 40 cents to me. Well, let's see what things look like here for game three, because as I said, Boston's gotten a ton of scoring chances here in this series so far. We'll see if the Islanders at home with the last change, which is a very important thing about home ice advantage here in the NHL playoffs. We'll see if they can kind of flip that script a little bit. What about this game tonight? Carolina, 
a slight favorite over Tampa Bay in the minus 115 range here, pretty much across the board. Total five and a half, juice to the under. Great series. Good game one with Tampa Bay coming away with a two to one victory. Did the boys from Raleigh uh, even this thing up tonight, Brian? I kind of think so, yeah. And I think the winner of this series is just going to be a handful down the road. Uh, the price to get Carolina only 10 cents at home, I think you got to look long and hard at it. That being said, I also think this could open up. That game was – the first game was played pretty close to the vest. I, I can see this one. There's a ton of skill out there. And it's not like Carolina didn't have – a chance in the first period to get two or three goals. Vasilevsky was phenomenal in, in that first period. I can see it opening up a little bit. So I probably lean Carolina in the over tonight. Yeah, only 35 combined scoring chances at five on five in that first game. But as you said, these are two teams with a ton of skill, obviously very familiar with each other, having played so many head to head meetings during the regular season. That is the difference for me here is, you know, Vasilevsky is is kind of more proven on this greater stage than Nadelkovich is. And Nadelkovich actually a guy from nearby Parma, Ohio. Um, you know, I, I don't know, I don't think I ever refed any of his games, but I know that I refed some games there in Parma uh, back when I was an official for USA Hockey. Good to see him, you know, on the big stage, a local kid having success. Uh, Parma's kind of a good place for hockey too. The Fritchie brothers came out of there, so not to go off on a sidebar or anything like that, but. That was a really bad goal he let up to Goodrow with that game winner. And you wonder about how a young kid bounces back like that, you know, in the face of not only going up against this lightning team, but also knowing that Vasilevsky probably not going to allow, you know, too many leakers like that one. Yeah, that was a hideous goal. I mean, you know, you shake it off and say it happens. It's just on that stage and at that time, not good, you know, and you wonder how he reacts. But he was pretty good after that. I'll give him credit for that. He he kept it a one-goal game, and Carolina had that chance or two after that. But he just got cut off balance. And it, it, it it's a bad goal, and it looked worse with because he was swimming and off balance. He just looked like he didn't even know where he was. All right, so the last series here, the only one we haven't talked about, and maybe that's by design. I'm not sure how much you want to talk about it after how game one went. But Vegas and Colorado, game two is Wednesday night, Colorado, in that minus 175 to minus 180 range, total five and a half for that one. Colorado outscoring Vegas five to one at five on five in the first game. Vegas looked like a tired team coming off the wild series. They couldn't handle Colorado's speed with the avalanche on one of those long layoffs, much like what we talked about with Winnipeg earlier on in the show. Does game two go differently? It better. That's all I'll say is I think the number is way too high. And you look at it, okay, we know what happened in game one. There are reasons for it. Many of them are excuses. But Vegas had played seven games, had to play 48 hours later. Leonard was coming off a long layoff, did not look good. Colorado's as healthy as we've ever seen them. Vegas was missing McNabb in COVID protocol, and he's kind of a stay-at-home defenseman, which, you know, McKinnon can skate around anybody like they're tied to a post, but McNabb is very big on the penalty kill for them, so his absence was felt. He won't be there this time. But, you know, this morning, Flurry was named a finalist, along with Grubauer, by the way, for the Vesna, and Flurry's going to get the call here, 
and these teams went four and four during the season. And losing one nothing or losing ten nothing, at the end of the day, it only counts as one win. That being said, Colorado can't play any better. Vegas can't play any worse. If it's the same deal, look out. It's it's ugly. That being said, Vegas is coming home to a sold out now. Vegas is open as of today, 100% capacity for the hockey game at T-Mobile. So I think you draw a line through the first game. It, you got to be willing to do that, and I, I am. I still think Vegas, at the end of the day, they get in these long stretches of squeezing the stick and get tons of chances and can't finish. But I would expect a very, very good effort from Vegas. That number's too high. There are a couple of things that I I do like here. I mean, one of them is if you're going to get blown out, I mean, at least it was Leonard. You know, at least it wasn't Flurry. And obviously a lot of people kind of question that decision, you know, from Pete DeBoer about whether or not, you know, Leonard was the right call coming off the long layoff and all of that. I don't hate the idea of getting Flurry a couple of extra days of rest especially with the extra off day between game one and game two, not really the worst of ideas, but also too getting trucked seven to one. I mean, throughout the entire second half of that game, Vegas just kind of gets the roll four lines. Of course, Ryan Reeves, you know, getting kicked out now suspended for two games, but you kind of get to roll everybody. Nobody has that big of a workload, all of that. So yeah, it looks really bad. But long-term, with Flurry getting a break and not burning, you know, all of your top guys throughout the game, it's not a bad thing for Vegas long-term. No, I mean, I, I honestly said Friday leading into the weekend, if Vegas wins against Minnesota, he should start Leonard in game one. You know, and if they were tired, you know, maybe he comes in and saves the day and steals one. Well, he was not sharp at all. But they were awful in front of him. But had Flurry started that game and got killed, then you really got chinks in the armor. So, you know, you're counting on Flurry to come up with a big game, save the day. And at, and at the end of the day, as ugly as it is, Adam, I mean, you just have to take the mindset. Your goal when you go there is to get a split. They lost the first game. That's all. That's really all it is. So now, if if they win this next game. They haven't seized control of the series, but their chances are mightily improved because they'll have regained home ice advantage. And, oh, by the way, like I said, it's going to be a complete full buildings. And both of these teams are really good at home. So a lot of hockey left to be played, but let's not take anything away from Colorado. I mean, it's McKinnon is just it's ridiculous. I mean, you watch this guy, I swear to you. I mean, it looks like he's skating downhill. You know, it's like he's he's just going at just, you know, he's just flying around at a level that nobody else is even close to being able to contend with. Well, and I think it's important too, and and much like we talked about with Toronto and how their star players were were noticeably absent, you know, throughout most of that series against Montreal and, and certainly late in the series, you know, look, it was the Blues, and I know that you were a little bit higher on the Blues coming into the playoffs than I was, but it was McKinnon. It was Landis Gog. It was Rantanen. The guys that had the bulk of the points for Colorado. And then in game one, you know, McCarr's got four points. Landis Gog and McKinnon with three. Rantanen with three. All of them scored goals. I mean, that's what you want. You know, you want your star players to get off to a good start here in these series. And 
you hope for Vegas here in game two that, you know, some of their stars, you know, you hope Mark Stone has a big game. You hope Pacioretty, you know, coming back off the shelf winds up with, you know, another key goal, something like that. That's the thing that concerns me for Vegas long-term is that that top line and those top guys for Colorado look virtually unstoppable right now. And that's really what you need, I think, to, to carry you through the early part of the playoffs. And then it's the role guys later on that seem to have a big impact. Your best players, it's cliche. Your best players have to be your best players. I mean, Vegas's fourth line was actually carrying play more, you know, more than the uh, top two or three lines. So, you know, when it's all said and done, you draw a line through it. But you're right. Stone, Stone as a captain has been phenomenal. The thing is, I mean, he's not a sniper, you know. I mean, he's capable of producing big plays. But Pacioretty's return helped them in game seven. And he he and Pacioretty have to really step it up in this second game. But Stone's that kind of guy. I would expect a big effort from Stone. And they they got to make Grubauer work for it. You know, there was just – Colorado was a free roll. They were just racing around in Vegas's end of the rink. Vegas got to get down and dirty. I, I think they have to simplify things and, you know, play a chip-and-chase game and, and start – McCarr and Gerard, these defensemen are unbelievable offensively. But they're smallish guys. I mean, you got to wear them down. You got to hit these guys. I'm, you know, not to the point where you run around and hitting is more important than the play of the game itself. But that's Vegas's mo here. I mean, I think they've they've got to wear that young defense core down. Yeah, and and also too, it's going to slow Colorado down in transition, and and that's really yes. to me, I think when Colorado is the most dangerous. So yeah, I I think you kind of. And it's tough because I don't think Vegas really wants to play that kind of game because they're very good in transition themselves, but. I think that is the adjustment that you need to make is to try and find a way to slow Colorado down through the neutral zone, whether that is kind of the chip and chase and four check game or, you know, whatever they decide to do. But yeah, I would expect to see some adjustments here in game two. And I think that they could be adjustments that will kind of dictate the rest of the series as well. Is, is Ryan Reeves a, a loss for them being suspended for two games or not really? No, I don't think so. I two games wasn't enough, by the way. It's funny. I, I did a, a hit a radio hit up in Vancouver and these guys asked me about that and said they had a former player Anthony Stewart was on and he said oh the the Ryan Reese and I I'm not poking holes at him I mean it's all this stuff's in the eye of the beholder and he said losing Ryan Reese you know hurt hurt them long term more than Pacioretty and I'm like I'm sorry uh Pacioretty's the one guy you can count on to put the puck in the net and fighting is not a thing in the playoffs so you know, and honestly, against a team that's this fast, you know, the, the Reeves loss, I don't think hurts. I think the bigger one is that Yanmark got hurt. Uh, he had a concussion. It doesn't look any way. I don't see any way the kid plays in this next game. And he's the guy who had the hat trick in game seven. I mean, that, that's a big loss for Vegas because he just plays a simple, steady game. So Vegas is a, a mini mass unit coming in here and Colorado's healthy and Adam for how long we've we been doing this podcast I've been drooling over Colorado with you for two years and here's the real rub of this thing if Vegas had lost to Minnesota in game seven we're going where do you see the changes they make even though you got by Minnesota if you come in here now and you get pitchforked by these guys your core group is in the late 20s to early 30s with Vegas Colorado's core group is in their early to mid 20s you're dealing with these guys for the next three to five years. 
And if you're not if you're not good enough to beat them now with with guys in their prime, or pretty soon you're going to be turning a corner to the back end of some guy's career. I think the reactions when this is all said and done, certainly from a Vegas perspective, if they don't come back, I mean, if it's a long series and it's competitive, so be it. You say you got beat, but you know the reaction to, you know, is this core group good enough? Could be incredible, and Vegas is always in on the big fish. I mean, three weeks from now. God only knows what they do. I mean, you could go back to the beginning of the year, say they couldn't score in the playoffs last year. What'd they do? They went and spent eight million bucks on a defenseman. You know, you could have got two thirty two twenty-five goal scorers for eight million bucks. And you got twelve million dollars in goaltending. Well, that's great in a regular season, but the two goalie thing doesn't work in the playoffs. So there's there's something that happened. You know, this is probably, I think, as good as he's been, I would think it'd be the end of the road for Flurry one way or the other here and they go with Leonard, they go with the younger guy and, you know, throw, do flurry a solid, send him back to Pittsburgh to end his career. I, it's amazing how, you know, the well, we talked about Toronto before we, what is Toronto going to do? Are they going to implode that thing? I mean, they went for it and Toronto, they gave up a first round pick for Felino. They've got Tavares, Martyr, Matt, they had all these guys and it's nowhere near good enough. And they're coming into this year's draft, and I think they got like a – they might have a third, a sixth, and a seventh round draft pick this year. And they got no draft picks. They they went for it. It was it was a train wreck. They have a lot of stuff to talk about here as this offseason gets underway for some of these teams and, of course, you know, as teams get eliminated from the playoffs. But, um, you know, a lot of guys, when they get eliminated from the playoffs, they head to the golf course. So that's where we'll head here as we start taking a look at the Memorial Tournament. Before we get into that, though, Jason Kokrak, good for you hitting that outright last week at the Charles Schwab. Well, you know, you're not reinventing the wheel. I mean, honestly, that tournament last year, I had Berger in the tournament there. Yeah, I wish they play a Colonial every week. I had Berger last year when Morikawa missed the putt on the playoff hole. But Kokrak had a 10-footer on Sunday, I think, to shoot 63, and he'd have made the playoff. So clearly there was a guy that just relished playing that course, and uh, good for him, man. I mean, you know, he was taking on Spieth and the fans, and good for him. He's a different golfer now. He's got two wins and made a big name for himself. This tournament, you know, the big story for us this week is going to be the new-look Muirfield Village. Nicholas totally, if you remember last year when they were playing this, John Rahm won. And I don't know if you remember, upon reflection now, I remember they got to number 10. They turned the corner and the, the, the final group got onto the back nine and they were showing bulldozers working on number one. Do you remember that? They, literally the deadline was so tight as the leading group went off the back nine, they started tearing up number one. I mean, already had the number one ripped to shreds while they were still playing the tournament last year. So we redid all the greens and the big thing Nicholas won he didn't necessarily make it tougher for the pros. He made the course more playable for members and then narrowed the fairways and placed bunkers in the landing areas where he wants the pros to play the hole the way it was designed with technology. Now, he, you know, he's got the bunkers and narrowed the fairways. But what he did was virtually every green complex got changed, but he was very limited with some of the greens he had in terms of the pin placements he could put up there. But he softened the middle of many of the greens 
to a degree to make it playable that, you know, it, you know, they could set up courses. He, he set it up that there are days they can go low and there are days he can rip their heads off their shoulders. But we're all going to watch it for the first time as the players are playing it for the first time, Adam. Yeah, it should be really interesting here. They've lengthened this course about 150 yards, largely by moving the tee boxes around a little bit. Did a lot of work on the bunkers. They moved seven of the greens. They changed the contours on 12 of them. This coming from the official PGA Tour Twitter account. They narrowed the fairways a little bit as well with some of these holes, at least in terms of narrowing them from the tips where the you know tournament is going to be played. So, yeah, there are some differences here to this course, some differences to the layout to be sure. And it makes it an even more challenging handicap where this almost has a major-esque field anyway. It's missing some of the European tour type players, but you've got basically everybody other than Dustin Johnson and Tiger Woods in this field. So a lot of really good players, but now also you have these new wrinkles of the course playing a little bit different. So how much of that course form of that course history do you want to take into account here when everything is going to play a little bit differently on the majority of these holes? Well, that's just it. I think the majority of the course will play similar, but in a stroke play event, Adam, one snowman and you're gone. So a subtle change that doesn't suit a certain player's eye on one hole is the hole and the change that could derail any one of them. No, absolutely. And I think it makes it tough. I mean, as you said, John Rahm, the favorite here, the defending champ, plus 1150. Keep in mind, too, they played back-to-back tournaments on this course last year. They played the Workday Charity Open, which Colin Morikawa won. Then they played the Memorial the next week which John Rahm won at nine under, the lowest winning score since 2012. So the course played very differently between the two events. So keep that in mind where it was a lot tougher for the second event, the Memorial, the pin placements were different, so on and so forth. But Rahm is your favorite. Hovland and JT are the co-second favorites, 15 to one at DraftKings. Bunch of guys at 1650, Rory, Morikawa, Shoffley, Spieth, Patrick Cantlay has won here. He's 17 to one. DeChambeau's one here. He's 18 and a half to one. Just a lot of really quality players in this field, Brian. Are you looking at some of the shorter price guys, or are you trying to make some price plays this week? No, I'm not. There's no way I'm going, you know, chalkish in this thing. And I think it's a tread lightly thing. Let's see how the course plays. I got three guys. I'm going to play on the front end of this thing. I don't like the price, but it's understandable. Louis Ustase in a 35 to one. Drives the ball beautifully. His putting's been great. Uh, and this is not a major, but it's Nicholas and Memorial. You know, what's, do you know, by the way, your neck of the woods, what's the temp, what's the weather going to be this week? Uh, so it looks like, at least up in this area, there's a chance of rain kind of Thursday uh, into Thursday night, but then the weekend looks pretty good. And actually, we've had very little rain here lately. Uh, you know, there was some flooding up at the islands uh, here on Memorial Day weekend. But other than that, very little rain. So I would expect these greens to be pretty quick there you and go. the fairways to be pretty dry as well. That's what I'm asking. All right. Fast and firm. Uh, Louis Oosthuizen certainly would be on the list. Again, I, you know, seeing Louis at 35 to one, he's always a guy you get 50, 60 to one. Another guy in decent form. I thought had a really good PGA championship is, is a guy like Gary Woodland. I think his game is coming back. Guys, when wins the U.S. Open, kind of goes away, goes through the body change and the whole lot. I think he knows who he is now. He's finding his game. So I think Woodland 
is an overlay at 61. And it's a bit of a leap of faith. He has never played well here. But I just keep staring at Cameron Smith this week. And I just think this guy's a world-class player now that's knocking on the door to, to, to really, you know, be, you know, a week-in, week-out contender. And I think the days of 45-1 to 1 aren't going to be around for much longer. So he's not played well here in the past. But, again, this is a different course. So I'm going to say Cameron Smith. I got Cameron Smith my top pick with Woodland and Louis Ustase. Woodland's on my list here as well this week. So you and I are in agreement on that one. Woodland, a guy that actually played pretty well here last year in the two events as well, a top five and a top 25. Uh, he's got a couple of other top 10 finishes here at Mirfield Village. So he also plays well here along with kind of routing into form, as you mentioned. And I know you like to look for those form cycles for guys, or maybe we get three, five, seven events in a row, something like that, where they wind up playing well. I think Woodland is kind of knocking on the door of one of those. So I do like him. As far as the short price goes, and this may be stupid, and I'm you know, not the smartest guy in the world, but I don't know what it is. I were just you, get were, this were you, feeling. Were you looking for an argument there? If you want to make one. Well, why don't you wait and hear the player, and then you can tell me how much of a dumbass <laughs> I am. I don't know why, but I feel like Tony Finau's got a chance to finish one. And it's a short price in that 20, 25 to one range in that area. Finau plays very well here. He was eighth here last year in this tournament. And he just seems to be like a guy that won't overthink the changes to the course. We'll just kind of roll with the punches. He's a very laid back type of dude. Maybe that hurts him on Sunday. I don't know. But I feel like Finau finishes one here soon. And I think it could be this one. So I like Woodland and Finau. And then the last one for me actually is Charlie Hoffman, who's in phenomenal form, seven top 20 finishes in his last 18 events, or in his last eight events, excuse me. So Charlie Hoffman's swinging it real well, and he plays pretty well here too. So those are the three guys I'm looking at this week, Finau, Woodland, and Hoffman. Yeah, the Charlie Hoffman ATM machine's open. I mean, every Sunday, you know, it goes. that's his MO, man. He, he gets back, he comes, he fires darts on Sunday, finishes fourth or fifth. The guy's making just printing money. But but kicking the door down and winning it, I mean, he, a lot of chances he he just can't do it. But now, if there was a top five, I'd I'd buy in on the top five. Him sealing the deal, I can't. Hoffman nine to one for a top five finish at DraftKings here this week. Finau for what it's worth five to one. If he gets up there and can't finish one, that's a good price on Hoffman for top five. Couple of other guys, really quickly to mention here. Uh, Patton Kazire has got back to back top three finishes. He's 140 to one out there at DraftKings, and I'm sure there's a better price out there somewhere in the marketplace. So Kazire's playing very well. Uh, I don't know if you find some, you know, really deep matchup stuff or something like that, but uh, top three finishes, both at the Byron Nelson uh, and also last week at the Charles Schwab. And of course, Sam Burns at 55 to one with a win at what well, was the Valspar, I think, and then a second following event at the Byron Nelson so if you're looking for recent form uh, those are a couple guys to keep on your radar there anything else before we head over to the Belmont you know I'm looking and I'm assuming because I know you caught coke rack late last week when we were kind of talking about him being a member by the way speaking of members here Jason Day is a member so not that he's in the greatest of form or anything like that but in terms of guys that have seen the renovations and the changes to the course I would assume he's one of them 
Jason Duffner is also an Ohio guy. So maybe he's seen him too. And he's won here in the past as well. Yeah. No, I mean, it was uh Palmer was the member. Oh yeah. Ryan, okay. Ryan, Ryan Palmer. Yeah. was a member. I, I played Coke right, just because of the final round last year. The I'm looking is it, it, I mean, I'm, I'm scrolling all over the place. I'm here. I'm in the European tour. Is Rose playing in this thing? No, he's not. So is he, did he just take, I mean, he's not, and he's not over. There's a big European tour event over in Germany. I played Harding over there, but Rose has played really well here. I'm surprised he's not playing in this event. I'm surprised too. The other guy who's played really well here is Matt Kuchar, although he's missed the cut the last two times. Uh, But Kuchar's got really good success here too. Yeah. But no, no, just looking forward to this. And then uh, Torrey Pines right around. What a, what a summer this is going to be, you know, there's a great tournament this week, U.S. Open, British Open, and then the Ryder Cup. And by the way, don't don't sleep on it. You saw that last week. He's one of these guys. By the way, uh, I don't see him. But that, that was the least surprising thing in the world to me that Poulter was up there last week. Didn't play him to win the thing. But he's still one of my favorite golfers of all time because – he had two weeks to make the Masters a few years ago, and he he won the uh, or he was in contention in the match play, and then he won at Houston, and I had him at eighty to one before him, and he shot seventy five, and then came back shot sixty four on Friday, and he was sixty to one on Friday night, bet him again, and he won. Well, Poulter, start start watching for guys like him. And the European guys, but not only that, the American guys that are on the bubble, Poulter is all about, I've got to make the Ryder Cup team. So you go and he may, and you see Poulter, he poured that bomb in on 18 to tie for third. Yeah, it's a nice chunk of change. You know, you get a big fist bump there because you get all those FedEx points and you jump up the world rankings. These guys are trying to punch a ticket to the Ryder Cup on both, yeah. on both the European and American side. Yeah, that's an angle I've kind of seen with Max Homa lately, too. Max Homa's 125 to 1 here this week. Some people thinking that maybe he's kind of in that discussion to, to be part of the Ryder Cup team. So I've seen people kind of talking about that a little bit, too, about maybe Max Homa, you know, kind of picking up another win here sometime soon. Maybe next week, because what's going to be really interesting, I think this is worth talking about quickly here before we go to the Belmont. Next week, they're playing at Congaree Golf Club down in South Carolina. They've never played this tournament before. I've seen some things written about this course that it's kind of a mystery. You know, there's not a whole lot known to these PGA Tour players about that golf course. And you wonder how many guys are going to want to go and play in the heat and humidity of South Carolina before they go all the way out west to Torrey Pines in San Diego for the U.S. Open the following week. So if you've got somebody who plays a good weekend here, a good fourth round on Sunday, something like that, and they're in the field at Congaree next week, that's probably a player you want to take a look at because I don't think many of these favorites and short price guys are going to go down to that tournament next week. Well, see, now see what you do to me here. This you do this to me every week. I do want uh, to you every week. Well, you know, hopefully it's good news. Um, all right. This, this Congaree thing. I'm punching it up real quick. I just got to see tournament info. They got, they don't have a field yet. I, I don't see I don't see Kisner playing this week. I can see Kisner being down there playing that course. I'm playing Kisner next week. I'll tell you that right now. How's that? All right. That's fair. I don't see if Kisner. he plays. I don't even know if he's playing, but he's not. I don't see him this week. 
I mean, you, you got to think a lot of these guys are going to try to get in some kind of form uh, for the U.S. Open. You know, I mean, you, you just have to. If you, if you can get four rounds worth of swings down there at Congaree and, and make yourself a nice little paycheck, something like that. But, I mean, this is a course that there, there's really not a whole lot talked about, not a whole lot known about it. I mean, you know, I, I can't see Dustin Johnson playing there, even though he's a South Carolina guy. You know, I just can't see him playing the week before the U.S. Open. He's not playing this week at the Memorial. But, I, again, I think next week's going to be a really interesting handicap, and you can use this week to your advantage next week, I think, is basically what I'm saying. Oh, imagine this. Kevin Kisner, his birthplace is Aiken, South Carolina. Yes, sir. Uh-huh. Not far from where my wife grew up. And I'm wondering, he re- oh, guess what? He resides in Aiken, South Carolina. You think he's not down there playing that course every day right now? I mean, I would. That's exactly what I'd be doing. Go ahead and make right. yourself a, make yourself. So, a so it's awesome. We don't have to do this next week. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's true. I guess we don't, do we? Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's um, how about that? This is yeah. deep South South Carolina too. I mean, this is down like Savannah Hilton Head kind of area. So there you go. Yeah, it's a good one. Should be a lot of fun. All right, let's talk about the Belmont here because we've got the post draw here this morning. Only an eight-horse field for the Belmont stakes here. Burbonic in the number one post, 15 to one. Essential quality in the two post at two to one. Rombauer, winner of the Preakness, three to one in the three post. Hot Rod Charlie, seven to two in the four. France, go to Ina, Ina, whatever, 30 to one, not going to win. Known agenda, six to one from the six. Rock Your World, nine to two from the seven. And then another big long shot overtook coming out of the eight post here. So only an eight horse field for the longest leg of the triple crown, Brian. Yes, sir. And what I would say to you is this is a leap of faith a little bit. I don't have the past performances yet because they did draw early, but I don't know that my opinion is going to change all that much. The thing I need to look at a little closer is how good is Rombauer? Okay, that's my rub here. The race Rombauer ran in the Preakness. I got to do a little more of a deep dive on this. But Rock Your World, I thought for sure they'd bring back in the Preakness. But the fact Medina Spirit's not in here now. Rock Your World is a front runner who got absolutely destroyed at the starting gate at the at the Kentucky Derby. He didn't get to run his race, and he's not dealing with Medina Spirit here. Hot Rod Charlie's got speed. Essential Quality's got tactical speed. But I'm pretty convinced Rock Your World in the smallest field, a clean break out of the gate, gets the lead, dictates the pace. Then it's like, who can get the mile and a half? So... Rock Your World is absolutely going to be front and center on my plays here. Now, the pace, albeit at a mile and a half, I'm not as concerned with the pace. It's still a factor, but not as much as most other races because you have to be patient and wait and wait and wait and wait. The horse... I marked it down. I said, I'm playing it. I don't care when. The next time I see this horse, I am playing this horse. 
I am all in on Bourbonic at 15 to 1. Bourbonic won the wood running against slow fractions, an incredible close at Aqueduct to win that race. And then everybody said, well, the time was slow. Times are, you know, I don't worry about times. It was slow because the pace up front was slow. And he deserves even more credit for running into such slow fractions and winning as impressively as he did. If you go back and watch the replay of the Kentucky Derby, it's actually hard to find. If you go to Google and you punch in Kentucky Derby, it's showing you NBC's broadcast or yeah, their video of the race. And most of it is from a drone or a blimp or whatever. But if you watch the pan camera, Ron Bauer, or I'm sorry, Borbonic is dead last in that race. And Carmouche broke from the 20 hole and pulled a Calvin Burrell and got all the way over to the rail. They're going down the backstretch, and he says go. And I'm telling you, Borbonic was 20th, starts to come up the rail, and literally was flying. And in the blink of an eye, this horse saving ground was going to be 10th with a long way to go. And it's subtle, but if you see it from the pan camera, the rail closed, and he took up. And all of a sudden, Borbonic went from, like, 17th, and he he was going to be 10th in, like, 10 strides. Seriously. He went from 17th back to 20th. And then he just plotted on, and he finished 13th. And it, it, you know, oh, he finished 13th in the Derby, and he's 15 to 1. I'm telling you. If that, if that door did not close for Borbonic, that horse was finishing no worse than fifth in the Kentucky Derby. So, and it doesn't necessarily always come to pass like this. It has on many occasions, the longer distance, that there's more ground for the closer to make up. The speed can go wire to wire at a route race. But I'm just telling you, Borbonic should not be 15 to 1. I mean, I think that's an overlay. And I think uh, Carmouche is a terrific jockey. I think this horse has a real shot to win this race. So, with only eight horses in the field, and as you said, you like Rock Your World and Borbonic here, how does that change your strategy in terms of bet types? You know, I mean, you know, a lot of times people like to kind of bet the trifecta or the box trifecta or something like that in a bigger field, kind of spread out their chances to a degree. What, what's your approach in only an eight-horse field? I mean, how, how do you sort of distribute I, you know, your tickets and your bets? I would bet more on exactas. I'm going to bet Bourbonic to win in place, and I'm going to have a pretty nice exacta box with Bourbonic in Rock Your World. You know, you could do a smallish bet for me. Like, instead of the exacta box, you could take that amount of money and play Bourbonic and rock your world with all to run third. But if Hot Rod Charlie, Rombauer, or Essential Quality runs third, the try's not going to be great. And if you bet the money more on the exacta, you'd make more. If, you know, overtook ran third, you'd probably make more on the try. But in the smaller field, the try's not going to be outlandish, I wouldn't think. 
if those, I mean, well, it's going to be nice with a 15 to one running first or second, but, but I just say in the smaller field, I'd be more about jumping on the exact box high, higher for me. Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Outline. Always great to pick your brain about all these different sports betting markets, man. It's always a lot of fun here on these Tuesday shows. Um, I know a lot of people out there like your work. You know, they like your work on our ATS YouTube page as well. What's the best way to find everything that you do? Well, Twitter's pretty much the ticket, right? At Brian Blessing, all the links for all the shows we do. You'll be with me Thursday. On weekdays, we do two hours a day sportsbook radio on the Sports Grid Radio Network, Sirius Channel 204. If you're a hockey fan, 1 o'clock Pacific time, KSHP.com. We do Vegas Hockey Hotline. We have great guests from around the hockey world. Uh, Wednesday on game day, we'll go to Minnesota. We'll have Dave Shane from the uh, Review Journal who covers the Golden Knights. And we, we take it around the league with great guests. Dennis Bernstein, Pat Micheletti up in Minnesota. So. If, you, if you're a hockey fan, even if your team's out of it, that, that's the, to me, I, Adam, hockey's awesome. I don't have a dog in the fight, and I'm sitting there watching those two games last night on the edge of my seat. I mean, there's nothing like the Stanley Cup playoffs. It's awesome. Oh, absolutely. And you guys cover a lot of great ground there on Sportsbook Radio and also Vegas Hockey Outline. And as you said, I will join you again here this week on Thursday. But thanks for joining me here on this Tuesday, Brian. Always a pleasure. Always appreciate your time. And we'll talk to you again real soon. All right, Adam. Have a great day, pal. There you go. There's Brian Blessing and at Brian Blessing on Twitter, Sportsbook Radio, Vegas Hockey Outline, and also videos over on our ATS YouTube page. I'll be back again on Thursday this week with another edition of the Betters Box, my MLB betting podcast. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again on Thursday.